Well, good morning. God is good. And all the time. Yes, he is. And uh, Tyler spoke a little bit about Marvin's uh, memorial yesterday. And I was uh, thinking about Marvin this morning and even as we prepared uh, to do church once again. And, you know, um, one of the things that, that really blessed me uh, about Marvin was his commitment to church, the importance of church. And uh, if many of you uh, were with us um, in Marvin's journey as his health, um, you know, deteriorated over time and uh, from being here and walking in just like the rest of us to eventually being in a wheelchair and needing to take the, the bus over. Um, but it was such a testimony to someone who had driven the stake in the ground that church matters, that Sunday matters. And then when, when he was here, uh, he brought so much joy. He wasn't here just to be a passive uh, attendee. Uh, how many of you, show of hands, maybe show of hands, how many of you were blessed by Marvin? Right? How many of you shared donuts and coffee with Marvin? <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, just, I just share that with all of us uh, and maybe a bit of his legacy. Um, Sunday, fellowship, the church, being with one another matters. Matters. And, you know, uh, for Marvin, uh, when, you know, he was at Triple C and, and having to make all the arrangements that were necessary to be made to get up and get on the transport and come over and then wait for it and head back. Again, um, just a great example of someone who prioritized church and being with the brothers and sisters in Christ. So just a, just a word of encouragement. I, I recognize that even uh, still there uh, in the current conditions, there are some that, that can't be here and are joining us online. Welcome and good morning again to you online. And, and we appreciate that. And and love that, and we're going to continue live streaming. In fact, someone asked me yesterday, are you guys going to just permanently live stream from now on? And I said, oh, yeah. You know, we have a whole new congregation out there in, uh, in live stream land uh, outside of Ojai, all up and down California and some other states. And so there's no way we're not going to live stream, Lord willing, um, because through this pandemic, our church has grown. Our church has grown. Um, and with that said, we encourage you even at home, uh, join us. Make, just drive the stake in the ground. There's value even joining us online. I know that um, uh, you know, there's a bit of that technological gap, but I also know that many of you who might be watching us right now, you feel connected to us. That's why we address you. That's why we speak to you. That's why we wave at you, uh, because we do value you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but just, you know, I encourage you. Uh, think about, you know, I think Marvin was right where Ernie is sitting, right? Or right where Joanne is sitting. And, and again, just a man of God who loved God and loved God's people and made it a priority to, to be here. And, and there was value for him, but then value for all of us. So I just share that with you uh, as we move forward. Uh, today, we're going to continue looking at the sword of the Spirit. We've been in the armor of God, and our verse uh, have been six, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, and I'll read these verses again. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And this last few weeks, we've been focusing on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, I bring this. It's uh, the Roman sword, right, called a gladius. These are what the Roman soldiers would have had for close quarter combat, sharpened on both sides with the tip sharpened uh, to the point that it was designed to pierce armor, right? And so the Apostle Paul, uh, who many believe was in prison as he wrote this letter and would have been guarded by a Roman soldier, would be familiar with this. And so he says, hey, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? And we've been, we've been looking at this. What does that mean to take up? Well, it's a choice, right? It's, it's a choice, so we, we take it up, but then we also have to learn how to use it, right? If this, is, this is the only piece of armor that's offensive and defensive, and it's designed for close quarters. So there's, there's a, a, a need if we're in a spiritual warfare, if we're in a battle and the enemy is scheming, remember that word scheming means that every person in here, uh, he has a unique scheme for you. Sure, the devil and you know, his, his uh, army are, are evil and wicked in the broad sense, but when it says we can stand against the schemes of the devil, that means that they are scheming against you. They know your weaknesses, they know your temptations, uh, your warfare, your unique trials uh, and, and battles are unique to you in some sense, right? And so you and I need to be uh, skilled in the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so we've been looking at that last week. We've looked at 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And we said, you know, that's a positive vision. It's, it's, it's getting to the place where you're like, I want to get to the place where if I stood before the Lord and he said, hey, show me how you use your sword, you would feel good. You'd be like, yes, yes, I rightly handle it. And that wor- the, the word rightly handling, that means to cut a straight line. Or to, if you're plowing, a, a, you know, an illustration from farming, if you're going to plow a straight furrow. So when it says rightly handling the word of truth, it means, you know what, cut it straight. Use it accurately. And we talked about uh, how to study the word specifically. We looked at exegesis versus eisegesis, right? Exegesis means I let scripture speak out to me. There's a meaning, an intent, the author. You look at the context. You look at the genre. You look at the meaning of the words, you put it all together to get the meaning, and the Bible speaks out to me. That's exegesis. Eisegesis, and we said you have to be very careful about this, is that I come and I read meanings into the Bible. I look for the Bible, they call it proof texting. I look for the Bible to support my ideas that I'm already carrying forward, right? That's eisegesis, where I'm reading into the Bible to get it to support what I want, okay? That's not rightly handling the word of truth. Exegesis means I humble myself before the Lord, and I say, Lord, speak out to me. Speak out to me. I'm going to study. I'm going to understand the context. I'm going to understand this passage or this verse in light of all of Scripture, 
but I want you to speak out to me, and I'm going to yield to your truth. I yield to you. I'm not just looking for you to support my opinion and my preconceived ideas, okay? Then we looked at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That verse reminds us that in one sense we're all teachers. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So you may never be on this side of the pulpit. You may never lead a Bible study as the facilitator teacher. But in one sense, this verse says, you know what? We're all teachers. We're all teachers. We should be ready to teach, encourage, admonish one another biblically. Teaching one another, teaching and admonishing one another, right? And it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Last week we saw that word dwell means that the word of Christ should be very comfortable in your life. It should like make itself at home. Make itself at home. This past few days, I had the, the blessing. I got to see my granddaughter, for the, my first granddaughter for the very first time. Uh, they flew in from Ohio. Uh, it was a surprise a week ago. My daughter put a little note on on the on Niala and said, hey, Papa, can I come visit you? I'm like, it took me a while to actually like, hey, wait, Papa, that's me, you know? Wait, she's asking if she can come visit me. You know, I'm like, yes, right? And, 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 and so uh, they came and, and, you know, all the others came in, Tierra and Garrett came in from Santa Clarita and everyone came over. Uh, and when the family's there, everyone's at home, right? No one's a visitor. They're just at home. Make yourself at home, you know, go grab the goldfish from the pantry, you know, go get a drink. Just, just make yourself at home. Well, this verse says the Word of God should be at home in your life. You should know it. You should be comfortable with it. It's not just a Sunday visitor or a Tuesday night visitor where you're kind of like, eh, you know, a little uncomfortable. No, let the Word of Christ become at home in you. Get comfortable with it, which means you know about it, how it, you know, 66 books, and you know, kind of know some of the details about it, but then you're immersed in it enough to where you're just at home. You're just at home. And then it says dwell in you richly. That means wealth, abundance, right? You know, oftentimes these magazines will, say, will give the, the 10 wealthiest people in the world, right, these billionaires. Well, the cool thing is, the great thing is, as a believer, we have the privilege to let the word of Christ dwell in us like a billionaire. Think about that. We are called to let the word of Christ dwell in us individually like a spiritual billionaire. That's open to you. That's open to me, and it's not just for the people who are up front or leading Bible studies. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, make it at home, and you know what? Be a billionaire when it comes to knowing the word of God. Let it dwell in you richly, right? And that's an incredible privilege. And I think, you know, one of the things we have to check ourselves in, especially in the United States, because we have such free access to it, right? Whether it's in paper form still or digitally, that there are still places in the world that would literally kill to get a Bible. They would just love to have a Bible, right? Just to, to give them a Bible would be like, what? I, you're giving me the word of God, right? And so I want to encourage you. If I said, yeah, here's a Bible, and they like, you mean I can read it and I can study it on my own, I, and it's mine and I can write in it, and I can let it dwell in me richly, you know, I could, yes, and so I want to encourage you, sometimes what, what's helpful 
if you've been in the church for any length of time, sometimes, and it may, it may seem kind of strange, but we're going to do this for you. Now, this isn't like making the Bible itself, the book, an idol. But here's what I want you to do. Just if you're at home, you can do this. If you're here, if you have a Bible here, just, just kind of put it up for a sec, even if it's digital, right? Okay. At home, you can do the same thing. So here's what I want to do, just, just for a few moments, because we need to pause, because sometimes we get so... What I want you to do is, okay, you can put your hands up, and just spend a few moments and just look at whatever form of Bible you have, sword, it's a sword, and I just want you, in, in however you want to do this, reflect on the truth that that's the Word of God that you are holding a supernatural revelation from the God of the universe. Is that kind of crazy or what? Is that, is that, right? Isn't, isn't that, like, how do you wrap your mind around that? The God of the universe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally spoke through human authors, and you and I are holding a God-breathed supernatural revelation. I don't know. We, we, we just, that, that's truth. And again, sometimes we, we, we get, we're going to see we get so busy and even familiar with the things of church that just to pause for 10 seconds. <sighs> yeah. I'm tempted to end the sermon, but I'm not. <laughs> but these are those moments where you have to really chew on that. Seriously, and you're going to see how that relates in just a little bit. And so we're called to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, really to become very skilled swordsmen and swordswomen, right, to know how to rightly handle it. And Ephesians 6.11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And as I was preparing for this, uh, I came across this, uh, this quote, and it says this, If I were the devil... I would do my best to divide and fragment the thinking of the church of Jesus Christ. I would try to get God's people confused as to who they are and why they are here. I would try to get them preoccupied with other things. I would try to get them to live independently, to think like the world thinks, to think like the natural man thinks in the futility of his mind. In other words, I would like to keep people away from serious involvement with the Word of God. I would want to keep their relationship to God's Word superficial and secondary. Someone has said that the adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. But he also has a number of cultural values or belief systems, actually illusions and snares that he uses to confuse and manipulate the church so that it must, of necessity, fail in its calling and purpose whenever it operates under these illusions. How many would be honest and say, you know what? Noise, hurry, and crowds. 
Huge distractions in my life. Huge things that sway me. Noise, hurry, crowds. And it might not even be physical crowds. You're talking social media. When I read crowds, I'm like, there's your social media. There's your crowd online. Right? Noise, media. Right? Not physical noise. It's, it's the noise of the world. And then hurry. Hurry. Even on a Sunday morning, some of us come, and maybe we're already ready and hurried for what's after this. Nothing wrong with lunch, and I'm a, you know, but sometimes we come to church and we're hurried. And, and think about that. We have the privilege to gather with the church of the living God, with redeemed brothers and sisters. We believe in the presence of the Lord in his home. And yet, culture brings in such a hurriedness that, man, how long is this going to go? And I wonder, you know, I hope the restaurant isn't too crowded when we get there. And Gosh, I got to get to the... I got, and yet, we say we're a supernatural, redeemed group of people in the presence of the God of the universe that we get to call Abba. And we're hurried. And we have noise in our head from the busyness of life. We carry it in here. And, you know, it, isn't it? Schemes. Schemes. And then, and then in this quote, he says, the enemy would want to keep uh, our relationship to God's word superficial and secondary. Superficial and secondary. And, and I thought of that, and I'm like, wait, okay, I've been doing this like 30 years. I've, you know, started in youth ministry and family ministry and, you know, been pastoring this church for about 11 years now. And, and I've had all kinds of uh, opportunities to interact with people who've been in the church for decades and those who are brand new to the church and the Word of God. And I was, I was thinking of those words, superficial, secondary. And then I started, these other S words started to come into my mind, you know, surfacy, shallow, superstitious maybe, self-helpy. And what, what do we mean by this? It's like we're, we're in the Word. We, maybe, maybe we're even reading and we're doing a lot of intake of God's word, intake, right? A lot of data gathering. But we're still kind of spiritually immature. There's a superficiality. There's, it's just a shallowness, you know? Maybe, maybe I still approach Bible reading and prayer kind of when, when I say superstitious, what I mean by that is it's sort of like this works thing or fear-driven. If I don't read, then, I'm, then God's going to be mad at me and bad things are going to happen. Or this, this happened because I forgot to pray, right? If we're not careful, we can have this sort of immature faith that it's still superstitious, religious, if you want to call it. It's still based on fear and works, right? Or, or, or even self-help. We, we're not approaching the Word of God out of a new covenant relationship where we have the indwelling spirit of truth, but we're coming at the Word of God because I need a verse for an issue. We call that Band-Aid theology, Right? Some, there's a crisis, there's a situation in my life, and we just look for a verse. You know, you know, take two verses, call me in the morning, right? And we call that Band-Aid theology, and, and I kind of get that, but that just kind of keeps you stuck. It's, that's shallow. That's a superficial faith if you're living with Band-Aid theology. God didn't give us the word to find a verse for a wound. I mean, 
And yet that's kind of what it has become. And that's why in many ways the church is still very shallow and superficial because we either look at it like a self-helpy or superstitious or, you know, we just kind of gloss over it. And, and it's kind of strange because it can feel like I'm doing a lot. Some of us in the church, you're doing a lot. I'm not saying you're not even have the right heart and the right motive. You're busy. You come here, you come to, you zoom in on Tuesday, then you drive over on Thursday, and you're kind of like what I call the church treadmill. You're like exerting a lot, and you've done a lot for years and years and years and years, and maybe you're even a little bit church exhausted, but when you stop spinning, you're like, I didn't move anywhere. But man, I'm tired. I've, I've, I've been doing a lot. I've been exerting a lot of effort, and I've been doing a lot of things, and, and like, what's going on? Why, why am I doing a lot, and I'm gaining? I've, 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 I'm in the book club, and, you know, and I'm in the mom's group, and I'm in everything that we have to offer, and then I go to other church stuff, and then I watch podcasts, and then I went to the conference, and we have all this data gathering, and if we're honest, we might look at our life, and it's like, but I don't think I've moved much. I don't think I move much. It's like when you have your car, you know, and it's in neutral or you're learning to drive stick and you're like revving it. It's like, hey, bro, put it in drive. You know, but making a lot of noise and a lot of, but you're not really moving. My heart for you this morning here and you listening online is, is when we look at what we're going to look at, it might, my heart is that maybe for some, even for one, the light bulb goes on like, ah. I get it. And maybe it's because you were never taught or focused on this particular spiritual discipline when it comes to the Word of God. And it'll, it'll click, and you'll just implement this, and you'll start moving again. You'll start moving again. And, and what we're talking about today in taking up the sword of the Spirit is what's called biblical meditation. Biblical meditation, right? Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he what? Meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. So in Psalm 1, verse 2 in particular, it says, He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditates. Isn't that interesting? Now in the church, depending on, you know, even your, your experiences growing up, and maybe your journey through spirituality until you came to know Jesus, that word meditates can be a loaded word and actually kind of like, oh, oh, isn't that new age? Isn't that Eastern religion? You know, what do you, you oh, now, now the well's going cray cray because they're talking about meditation at the well, right? No, the Bible says meditate. I'm just reading you what the Bible says. It says in verse two, he meditates day and night. So, Maybe for some of us, spiritual maturity, you know, you're doing a lot, and here's spiritual maturity, and maybe there's this gap, and you don't know what, why you've been over here. 
Maybe this gap has to do with the lack of biblical meditation. Maybe it's just been a missing ingredient, a missing element in your spiritual walk, your, your, your maturity, your growing up into Christ, that you haven't actually focused on biblical meditation on the Word of God, right? See, it says, look in John 17, 17. Go ahead and put that up. It says, sanctify them. This is Jesus. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctified is the same word where we get holy or set apart. So in our sanctification, we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are made more like Jesus through the word, through the truth. Okay, so, so but I'm reading I'm doing, I'm reading, I listen to sermons, I'm listening, and I'm like, isn't that? Why, why, why aren't I being sanctified more? What's going on? Again, it's possible that what's missing is biblical meditation, okay? Ray Pritchard says about Psalm 1, he says this, when he talks about prospering in Psalm 1-3, he says this, they prosper in the sense that no matter what happens, they find strength for the day and hope in the midst of the hardest difficulties. They bring forth godly fruit in good times and bad times. Why? Because they are planted deep in the good soil, and their roots reach out to the water of the word of God. Finding constant nourishment therein, they can face whatever life throws at them. Why? Because they're meditating on it day and night. So then the question is, what is meditation? Biblical meditation. Everyone say biblical. Okay. Biblical meditation, very important, especially in Ojai, okay, especially in Ojai. J.I. Packer, here's a definition. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communicating with God. Amen? Okay. Radical difference from Eastern meditation. If you're familiar with that, one of the core tenets of Eastern meditation is what? Emptying. It's emptying the mind. Okay? What separates that from biblical meditation? Biblical meditation is filling. Everyone say filling the mind. Okay. It's kind of that simple, that basic. Eastern religion, New Age, all of that meditation, that's why, you know, you see them in the positions and the, in the ohm and all that. That's designed to empty self, empty mind, become with one with the universe, right? That's, it's an emptying. Biblical meditation is a filling, a filling focused on God, a filling of my mind with the word of God so that I grow deeper in my relationship with God. Amen? Radical difference. That's biblical meditation. That's what we're called to do. And here's the thing. It's not just, again, for the spiritual A-team. You know, pastors aren't the only one called to this right? I like this quote. It says, unlike Eastern meditation, there is no hint in the Bible that meditation is an esoteric practice that requires instruction by gurus and special techniques for controlling one's breathing, repeating mantras, descending inward, etc. 
Rather, the Bible's picture of, is of an activity that is straightforward and accessible to every believer. Amen? Okay, and you're like, yeah, but, yeah, but, okay. How many of you have ever worried about something? Now, let me define that. How many of you have ever worried about something, meaning you played it over and over in your head? You couldn't let it go. You wondered why they said that in the email or the voicemail or the text. You rehearsed it over and over, and it began to affect your mind, your emotions, your outlook. Anyone? What did you just do? Meditate. That is biblical meditation, just on the wrong object. So you already know how to do it. That's why it's not a scary, ooh, thing, because you do it already, countless times. How many of you in the last year have fixated on COVID? Your favorite news channel. If you've been fixated on it and you've molded over and over throughout the day, that is biblical meditation, just on not the word of God. It's on circumstance. It's on your past. It's on your feelings. It's on your enemy. It's on your boss. It's on your finances. It's on your health. We biblically meditate on a lot of other things other than the Bible. And in the same way that those things of the world affect you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, usually negatively, the whole point of what we're trying to express is that when you biblically meditate on the Word of God, it will affect your entire being in the same way. You and I can choose. You can choose. Every day and every moment of the day, what you're going to put your mind on. That's just, that's biblical meditation. It's kind of that simple, right? Here's the definition. It says, worry is when you take a negative idea and continue to think on it over and over, and it will usually start to affect you negatively. When you take a truth from Scripture and think on it over and over, we call that meditation. There is nothing mystical or magical about meditation. Meditation just means you focus your attention over and over on the Word of God. When one continually mutters God's word to himself, he is constantly thinking about it. The, ven- the benefits will be a blessing. Okay, so in Psalm 1, and we'll see in Joshua 1.8, that word meditate is haga. Haga means to utter a sound, to muse. It's, if you ever see someone kind of like speaking to themselves, kind of, kind of like talking to themselves under their breath, right? That's, that's what the word means. It's like you're muttering, you're, you're pondering, you're ruminating, you're speaking to yourself God's word over and over throughout the day. That's Haggah. Okay? The word picture is also chewing the cud. Okay? And, and if, you, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, right, uh, it, here's, it says, Meditation is the act of focusing one's thoughts, of pondering, of reflecting, and of reviewing various thoughts by mulling them over in the mind and heart. The picture is one of chewing upon a thought deliberately and thoroughly, providing a vital link between theory and action. Meditation consists of reflective thinking, rumination, or contemplation, usually on a specific subject with the purpose of discerning its meaning or significance or a plan of action. What metabolism is to the physical body of the cow, meditation is to a saint's mental and spiritual 
life. So basically, there's a picture of, of if you're not familiar with that, you ever have heard her chew the cud? Cows chewing their cud, right? So go ahead and put up the, the cow, Jordan. So a cow has, is, is, has actually four. Yeah, next one. A cow has four compartments in their stomach. They don't have four stomachs. They actually have four compartments. And what happens is a cow goes through a process, right, where, where, where I'll, I'll read Dawson Trotman. Go ahead. Go to Dawson Trotman. It says, a cow eats grass as it grazes early in the morning. When the sun gets hot, it will lie in the shade of a tree. And through the use of a unique elevator system, it will bring up the grass from one stomach and thoroughly chew it. When this is finished, it will put in, it into another stomach, having gotten from it everything possible in the way of nutrients. So actually, it's not a stomach. It's a compartment. So a cow will chew. The first one is just really to moisten it, and down it goes. Then a cow will relax. It'll bring it up, chew it, and down it goes again, right? Chewing the cud. Why does it chew the cud? To get all the nutrients out of it. It's a process to get all the nutrients out of that batch of hay or whatever it was eating, okay? It's a process. It's interesting, you know, it's funny when you prep for um, messages, suddenly I'm like on some Iowa agricultural website trying to research cows chewing their cud, right? And it says this, cows spend nearly eight hours out of every day chewing their cud. This plus normal chewing of food can total upwards of 40,000 job movements per day. Eight hours of chewing their cud, Mark. And then I was thinking, I'm like, wait, there's a spiritual lesson there about how many hours we spend chewing on the Word of God. How many hours do you and I chew on the Word of God? Right? Now, Nothing wrong with quiet times. I know many of us here, many of you at home have a quiet time. But I think what, what is neglected in, this terms of, in terms of implementing biblical meditation is if, and I fall into this habit too, I will have my quiet time, I'll read my verse or passage, and I'm done. And then I get on with life. What I didn't do initially as I was learning about biblical meditation is I didn't discipline myself to have my morning reading time and then bring that up later. And then bring it up later. And then bring it up later and chew on it more. It was like one and done, tomorrow I'm going on to a new passage. That's where we get stuck in spiritual immaturity and we get stuck in our spiritual growth because we're not bringing it up enough to get everything out of it that God wants for us to get out of it. It's not enough to go, okay, I read it, I understand that, and then move on to the next thing you want to study. No, reading it and studying it is only step one. You have to accurately know what it says, right? That's just step one. Then you meditate on it and you say, okay, now that I know what this says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land here. I'm going to chew on this long enough to give God through the Holy Spirit time to talk to me. And honestly, that might take weeks and months and years off one verse, off one passage. It, you might be chewing on something for years because it's the thing in your heart, in your life, that just hardened you. You were wounded deeply. You're angry. You're raging. You can't forgive. And maybe you're going to chew on passages about forgiving 
for, for weeks and weeks, you're going to chew on it. You're going to think, what does that mean? I, and, and then God's going to start to show you you. He's going to sh- hold up the mirror and start showing you your heart issues. He's going to start showing you where you need to ask for forgiveness, not the other person. You know, the more you chew and, and, and ruminate and, and allow and meditate on the word of God, the crazy thing is God starts to speak to you about you and how you need to align to his will in this area. That spiritual growth is chewing the cud, bringing it up over and over to get everything that God wants you to get out of it. That's how you grow. Because out of that, I'm going to be honest with you, that's where you're going to get broken. That's where you're going to have to confess, and you're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to submit, and you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to change this area in your life. And where does that come from? You chose to chew the cud. You chose to stay on that one verse and that one passage long enough for God to speak to you. That is radically different than having a quiet time, reading a passage, and then moving on. But that's where, again, maybe, maybe it's the pastors. Maybe we, because there's not enough emphasis on biblical meditation and we just encourage you to do things, maybe we create this checklist. And, and maybe the checklist, honestly, is a false checklist of spiritual maturity. Maybe we get you in the church doing Bible study, doing Bible reading, doing a reading plan, and you're checking the boxes, and maybe inadvertently we equate that with true spiritual maturity because we don't teach enough on biblical meditation. I'll own that, right? We have to slow down. We have to slow down. And you know what's crazy? It says regarding going back to cows, cud chewing is often used as an indicator of a healthy and comfortable herd. A happy, healthy animal will produce more milk or have a higher production of muscle by chewing the cud. And I thought of that in regards to spiritual health. You want a marker, another marker of spiritual health, maturity in your walk with Jesus? How are you doing with chewing the cud? How are you doing with chewing on the word of God, bringing it up? throughout the day. Because I believe if you do that, the fruit's going to be born. You'll be transformed. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Why aren't we sanctified in the truth? Because we don't chew the cud long enough to be sanctified in it. We have to slow down. Seriously, it's okay. Slow down. If you, For instance, if you are dealing with the issue of worry, Right? Worrying about your life. Well, Matthew 6, 25 to 33, do not worry about your life, right? That whole passage. If you were to try to chew on that, that will take you years, I'm guessing. Because when you chew on the word of God, you start to look at every word. You start to, then you want to do homework. What is worry, right? And, and what does it mean that Father knows what I need. Do I trust Father? Then he's like, do I trust him? Does he really know? 
So if he really knows and, and he's God, then why do I worry? See, this is the whole process of chewing on the cud. It, 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 you go deep suddenly and suddenly the word of God comes alive because the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth is now challenging you. It's easy to say, do not worry. Amen, brother, do not worry. And then the Holy Spirit in your chewing on the cut of that passage says, so then why do you worry? So why worry then? You just said amen to the passage, and then you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, why do I worry? Do I really trust God in this area? Am I, am I scared? Do I really believe he knows all my needs and he's going to provide? Because three times in that passage, it says, do not worry. Hmm. See, when you go, hmm, that's chewing. That's allowing the Holy Spirit to now show you you. And maybe areas in your life where you don't trust. Maybe there's trust. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you're scared. And then you begin to have this honest relationship with the Lord because you're chewing on his word. That's just one example, right? You can go to Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Amen? See, no one wants to say amen because, <laughs> you know, right? Because we, 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 we just, amen that verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yeah, and then you start chewing on that, and it's like, wait, but I'm still anxious. Why am I still anxious? And it says, be not anxious about anything. But I'm anxious a lot, about a lot, Lord. This is my point. You got to chew on that and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you about why are you anxious? Why, where's the anxieties coming from? Where's your trust? It, 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 I can't even answer that for you because that's, you might, this is my own unique journey. It's going to be unique to Mark. It's going to be unique to Vinny. It's going to be unique to Randy. That one passage will be unique to all of you because you have your own stories with him. There's a meaning, there's one meaning, but then there's applications to everybody here. And if you will chew on it, if you'll biblically meditate on it and allow the Holy Spirit, believe me, He will show you. He will speak. And in my life, most of the time it comes down to, oh, forgive me. Or it's like, oh, Father, I see this. Just be anxious for nothing. But then I give but but my finances, but, but, and, and then the more I chew on that, um, then I start asking him questions. Father, why am I so anxious? Where's the father? How do I trust you more? How do I, how do I experience and appropriate the peace of God that that verse talks about? All of this comes from taking the time to biblically meditate on it, to stay there long enough to let the spirit of truth speak truth. That's what we're talking about, okay? So uh, John Piper says this, our lives are unbelievably distracted. We are experts at multitasking, surfing, and skimming, but it is harder than ever to meditate. Therefore, it is imperative to intentionally cultivate meditation on God's word. But how? I call it going out to pasture, resting and ruminating like a cow chewing on the word of God savoring it for the sake of life. If possible, find a consistent time, place, and plan. Then read slowly and carefully. Reread and reread. Read out loud. Read prayerfully. 
Read with a pen in hand. Memorize texts that you read. Those are just helps. Really at the core is stay there long enough. If you journal, stay there long enough and just watch your journey through one passage. It'll be fascinating. You stay there long enough with a pen in hand and, and one day God will show you this and then you come back and just watch a progression through this transformation, this sanctification through one passage. You'll be writing your own commentary, <laughs> your own devo. You, you ever wonder, like, how do people write these devotionals, right? I'm sure many of you have bought a devotional, right? And you're like, wow, that's powerful. Wow, that's some great insight. A lot of the devotionals that people write is from biblical meditation. They get a passage, they stay there long enough, they journal it, and then they sell it to you. The point is, you can write your own devo. That's just the same Holy Spirit as the author of that devo you really like. You have the same Holy Spirit, and if you'll sit there long enough, you'll have your own devo slash journal slash story of your walk with Jesus. But this is one area that, that's just been neglected. I, I really believe it's been neglected as a taught spiritual discipline in the church. Maybe out of fear of the whole New Age Eastern thing. Maybe just something we got into works and just do this, 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 and you'll grow. Uh, not really. Not really. So what, what, what can you focus on, right? If biblical meditation isn't emptying, it's filling. Okay, here's some helps. We can focus on God, his character, his works, and his word. Give me some, I'll give you some psalms. Psalm 77, 12. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 63, 5 through 7. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. How many have ever been out walking here maybe or camping or something, and just, you're just struck by nature, and suddenly you're like, God is awesome. You see the stars, and you're just like overwhelmed. That moment of just kind of like, oh my gosh, right? In one sense, that moment of awareness is biblical meditation, but he wants you more consistent. You don't have to get away. He wants you to ponder on your bed. Maybe it's, it's at night, or sometime you're thinking of all God's blessings, how he's transformed you, how he healed you, how he came, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, right? Psalm 145.5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. How about, how about meditating that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present? That's a lot to chew on right there. His character. I mean, God is all-powerful. My Father, Abba, is all-powerful. I mean, chew on that. My Father is all-present. He's here. He's... Chew on that. Right, But what we did, I think what happened in the church is our spiritual growth, we equate with assenting and agreeing versus chewing. We agree with doctrine. We want to be orthodox, so we'll amen. We'll have a statement of faith, and we'll agree to it. But we haven't really chewed on it for us personally. I mean, God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. 
the, the three omnis. That'll rock your world if you personalize that to you as his son or daughter. That's your father you're talking about, right? Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So again, right back to word, meditating on the word. In the New Testament, there's not really, they don't really use the word meditate, but we get the sense from Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So again, it comes back to the choice. So let me just ask you, this past seven days, what did you focus on mostly? What were you meditating on mostly this last seven days? The world, COVID, masks or no masks, vaccine, no vaccine. What were you, what were you fixated on? What were you ruminating? What were you chewing on this past seven days mostly? It's a good check, isn't it? It's a good check. Okay? Because here's the thing. Now that you know all this, you can choose moving forward. You can choose. I can choose, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll close with this, this verse, this, another one that's very familiar when it comes to meditating in the Old Testament. It's where God commissions Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua 1.8, many of you are familiar with it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. See, there's the obedience part. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Okay, keep that up for a sec. This is not a prosperity gospel verse. Do not proof text this to when he says, uh, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That does not mean financial and material success in 2021. Again, it's just how we twist things. In the context, he's talking about Joshua leading the people into the promised land of Canaan. So really in context, it's more of a military success. Okay? And, 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 and for us, the application, the more accurate application is that he's spiritual prosperity. It's a spiritual growth. It's a spiritual maturity, right? And, and, and it's interesting that word prosperous means the idea of a successful venture to accomplish what is intended. Well, what is intended? Your sanctification. Okay? And that word success means to act with insight, to be prudent, wisdom, act prudently, assess a situation, and decide on a practical course of action. How many of you in your jobs or as a parent or whatever ever had to Assess the situation and decide on a course of action. Who's ever had to do that? Assess the situation. Okay, what this is saying is when you implement biblical meditation and you're chewing on the word of God consistently, what happens is as you go through life and you come across different situations, you assess them biblically and you plan a biblical course of action. Biblical meditation is to think biblically so that you live biblically. That's all it is. You chew on the word of God consistently throughout the day so that it so permeates you, you get everything out of it, that now you have a biblical worldview 
And no matter what situation you come up against or happens, you assess it and you react and act biblically. That's the fruit of biblical meditation, right? And that's radically different than, oh, man, what's that verse? Right? Oh, man. This is where you are maturing and you're walking in the Spirit. And as you're just living your life, the Spirit of truth is leading you biblically because the Word of God has been chewed. (laughs) And now you're just rightly handling it It's like what I talked about last week. When you learn to drive a car, first it seems overwhelming, and now many of you drove here, and you didn't even think about it. It's so second nature, right? You could could probably have a conversation on your way home and not really be paying attention because you're so familiar with driving. That's the same way you should get with the Word of God. And again, maybe it's just because you never thought of biblical meditation or implemented it. But if you do this, more and more, it's just going to be second nature. And you're going to be living a more mature Christian life, bearing the fruit of the Spirit more consistently because the Word of God is in you. The Word of God is in you. Okay? Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. So that word transformed is metamorphosis. We are transformed as our mind is renewed by the word of God. Sure, we read it. Sure, we memorize it. We should have quiet time. But maybe for even one person here, you'll go, oh my gosh, I've never even heard about biblical meditation. This chewing the cud thing. Wow. Maybe that's the missing piece. Seriously, add it. Like, seriously, even like Sunday sermons, there's a tendency, and I, I, I did this as a young believer, right? Service is over. Hold up the notes. Never, never think about them. Never bring them up again the whole week, maybe the whole life. No, Sunday sermon. Bring it up later today. Chew on it later. Chew on it tomorrow. It could be a podcast. It might be a book you read. It whatever we have to not be in such a hurry to move on. And we've got to give the spirit of truth an opportunity to speak truth. That's biblical meditation. Chew it. Bring it up. Let them, you know, just, just stay there long enough. And we'll close with this quote by Thomas Brooks. Remember that it is not hasty reading, but serious meditation on holy and heavenly truths that makes them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It is not the mere touching of the flower by the bee that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time on the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove to be the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Slow down. Kind of get out of quantity mode and slow down to quality mode. Just slow down. You can still be doing a a yearly Bible reading plan. I'm not saying don't do that. What I am saying, if you're going to do that, in addition to that, find something, a passage or whatever, and you're going to chew on that. You're going to chew on that. And as an additional help, 
maybe find, I'm going to call this uh, a Bible buddy. And someone that you can share this chewing with. Where someone says, hey, um, hey, Shy, what are you reading? Like just, she doesn't even know I'm going to do that. What, what, give, me, give, me, give me something, you a passage. Give me your favorite verse. Okay, Psalm 63. So here's a, here's, here's, here's a loving, challenging question. So what's God saying to you about that, about your life? How's God speaking to you through Psalm 63? See the difference in question? When I ask her, when I say, Shiloh, how's God speaking to you through that? That's, that's, a, that's a question. And if she were to say something, say, well, so how are you applying that? How's God, how's God want to transform you through Psalm 63? Suddenly, we're having a real conversation. Not, hey, so what does that say? No, I'm like, hey, you know, Mark, what passage is God really speaking to you through these days, bro? How can I pray for you? How can I help you implement what the Spirit is saying to you through that unique passage, that Hrema passage for you? That's, that's like, that, those conversations, I love those conversations. I love the conversations where you say, hey, Robert, what's God saying to you? What, what's, how's God speaking to you today? Like real time, what's, what's the passage? Where, where is he zinging you, <laughs> right? Where are you being challenged? Where are you being stretched? That all comes out of us biblically meditating and letting the word of God permeate us, chewing on it. And then we share that. We share that journey together. That's what we do. That's what we do. So I just want to encourage you with that. Maybe find somebody. It's not a deep Bible study. It's a sharing of your chewing. <laughs> right? It's, okay? And again, be very careful. When you biblically meditate, you do not say, what does this mean to me? That's eisegesis. When you biblically meditate, first steps is to understand the actual meaning and then biblical meditation is, God, what are you saying to me? See the difference? You study it, you understand the passage, the meaning, the context, all of that. And then through that, you say, Lord, I'm going to chew on this long enough, so I'm going to let the spirit of truth speak to me, speak out to me. Father, where do I need to change? Where do I need to get in alignment with your will as you speak out to me? That's biblical meditation. Okay. And if you choose to do that, I'm excited for you. I'm so excited for you because some of you are going to be like, Pastor, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was reading this passage, and God just kind of convicted me about this one area of my life. And I love having those conversations. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you about, and it's accurate, you know, it's an accurate interpretation and all that, and I'm like, that's awesome. And I love to see your faces. It, that, that, that brings me great joy. I love to see your faces because you're like a little kid at Christmas. <laughs> Can I share with you what God, God's speaking to me? And I'm, oh, yeah. I love that. So biblical meditation, powerful way. Maybe you've never heard about it, and so I want to be sensitive. I don't, you know, I don't want this to be a pound you over the head thing. I just want to equip you. I want to equip you to take the sword of the Spirit and rightly handle it. For your sanctification, and here's a glorious thing, the more you're sanctified, you become a bigger blessing to everybody in the church, outside of the church, because you get more and more transformed into the image of Jesus. Amen?
Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us what it means to to biblically meditate on your word, to, to chew the cud. And so, Father, maybe... Maybe today it's just a light bulb's come on. And for whatever reason, we just got more focused on doing and checking boxes and, and kind of like racing through even our Christian life by um, not taking the time to just stop and give the spirit of truth time to speak truth through the word of truth. So, Father, please forgive us. And now, Father, we can choose. We can choose. We can choose to focus on the Word throughout the day. I pray for each one here and each one listening that you would bring to their hearts and minds books, passages for their unique situations as they begin this journey of biblical meditation chewing on the Word of God, getting everything out of it that you want for each one of us individually to get so that we can be more and more transformed into the image of Jesus. And and Father, I thank you for Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, he says that his meat, his food, his desire was to do your will. And so we remember his, his example of someone submitted, trusting, yielded to the will of the Father even unto death. And may we have that same heart of surrender and submission to your will as revealed in your word. Jesus, this morning we'll take communion in remembrance of you once again. Thank you. Thank you for the ultimate example of surrender and submission to your Father's will. Thank you that you were crucified, you died, and you rose again. Jesus, thank you that through faith in you, we we know, we know we're going to see our brother Marvin, Sister Sally, again, and other dear saints who have gone before us. Thank you for that hope we have. And even that, just a powerful truth to meditate on, that our names are written in the book of life through faith in Jesus. What a powerful truth to, to chew on. So we love you, Jesus. We now take this time to reflect, to meditate just on you and who we are in Christ. We love you and we give you this time of communion. You can take communion as you would like when you're ready as Vinny and Shiloh sing and then Randy will come up and close it.